The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of the speakers and not the station. If you would like to share your views, you may email us at wfmp.louisville at gmail.com. Welcome, everybody, to Election Connection. I'm your host, Ruth Newman. And today we're going to focus on the intersection of politicians and policies with global climate disruption. As reported in a September 29th Times Magazine article, which I just read, when President Jimmy Carter was running for re-election against former Governor of California Ronald Reagan back in 1980, the environment was a campaign issue. Reagan was quoted as saying, and it said it wrongly, <laughs> that over 80% of nitrogen oxide air pollution is caused by trees and vegetation. Carter, meanwhile, had signed 14 major pieces of environmental legislation, including funding of alternative energy, the first toxic waste cleanup, the first fuel economy standards, and new laws to fight air, water, and other forms of pollution. A week before he left office, Carter's Council on Environmental Quality also had issued a report on the long-term threat of what scientists were calling carbon dioxide pollution. But as we all know, Carter lost to Reagan, who, along with George H.W. Bush, did not take global warming seriously. So here we are today, hit with not only global warming, we've got a global pandemic, We've got extreme polarization and distrust among politicians and the general public. And that is together with ever worsening climate disruption. So on today's show, we're going to try to look at global climate disruption through a political lens. And here to help us in this pursuit are Nikki Chambers, who is supervisor of the Mackenzie T. Moss Water Treatment Plant in Hopkinsville. She's also environmental director for the Kentucky State League of Women Voters. We also have with us Shirley Cantrell, Natural Resources Chair of the Louisville League of Women Voters. So welcome to both of you. I'm so glad you're here. Good to be here. Maybe you could start out by talking a little bit about why we're in such a serious threat. I mean, why is this even more serious than the current pandemic? Even though COVID right now is uh, one of the things that we really need to spend some time on, and I think we probably will, and it's very serious to everybody. You mentioned every time we go out, we put a mask on, at least I do. If we do not watch the uh, climate situation and we do not clean up our air, then we are going to have more serious problems than COVID. Breathing, breathing is going to be a problem if we do not clean up our environment. Our pollution will make us susceptible to disease and more likely to a bad outcome if we do catch, say, another environmental thing that comes along, such as another flu or another type of virus that comes along, then you're going to have something even worse if your lungs are not as good as they should be. 
you're going to exacerbate cardiovascular and respiratory diseases with possible links to dementia and also lung diseases that are going to develop in children a lot earlier than they do. So you're going to have these things that happen earlier in life and we're going to have to deal with them. So Mm -hmm. let's deal with our environment early instead of late and then we won't have these things. Thank you, Shirley. And not to mention also that the heating of the planet is going to create more vector-borne disease. You know, it's going to become more and more tropical. And it's also a long-term issue, whereas the pandemic has a beginning and hopefully an end. Anything you'd like to add, Nikki? Yeah, we're already seeing extreme event situations going on with um, the number of hurricanes, the strength and what's going on right now as we speak. And if we don't get this under control or try to at least put some measures on it by the year 2035, we're going to be to the point of no return where we cannot correct the situation as it's going on. I mean, it's just going to spiral out of control. By the year 2100, our future generations will not be able to handle what's coming down the pipeline. Were either of you able to find out what Trump meant by his claim that air and water are cleaner under his administration? I went back and looked at Trump's stand on climate change, and I look at I looked at Biden's stand on climate change. Uh-huh. And Trump did say this, that he wanted crystal clear water and air, and that we now had the lowest carbon, and he thought that they were doing phenomenally. And But if you really look at the numbers right out there now, Mm -hmm. the numbers really do not show that. And I don't know where he got his numbers, but they don't show that at all. I did um, try to do some fact checking on some of the things that he said during the debate and nothing really stood out that there was any truth to um, that claim. Uh I think it was just something that he thought would be good to say out there. I don't think there's any facts or anything to back that up. With the measures that are being repealed under his administration, I don't think that that kind of lines up with the water is cleaner now, um, thanks to his administration, when he's repealing acts that like the Clean Water Act, the Clean Power Plan, things are being repealed under his administration. How could you say everything's better? Yeah, Yeah. kind of a basic principle (laughs) that if you deregulate the emissions that go into the air and the water, and you allow more pollution, more toxins, it's hard to imagine that the air and the water are getting cleaner. It would seem much more logical that the air and water are getting more toxic and more polluted. Shall we go through some of these deregulations that came about? I think it was his first executive order was that for every new regulation, two old regulations had to be repealed. He was just dead set against regulations. I think, especially with his administration, going in and said, well, I'm going to repeal these um, regulations. We're going to take out two of the old regulations just to appeal to his base, uh, the Republican base, on top of that. But I'm not sure if if there's any rhyme or reason to these rules. Yeah, it was what his big business buddies wanted him to do. It's what they've been lobbying for. And it's, you know, the fossil fuel industry, the coal industry, natural gas, fracking, power plants, 
you know, they all didn't want the extra burden of cleaning up the pollution that they were producing. And so he accommodated them. So you mentioned the clean power plan. Then he reduced performance standards at petroleum refineries. There was a whole lot of stuff that he did. When it came to oil and gas exploration and drilling, he opened up coastal waters, public lands, national forests, national monuments, wildlife refuges. The list goes on and on. He made it so that oil and gas companies did not have to report leaks during oil and gas production. He took away the grants that had been established to clean up industrial sites. And then, of course, the fuel economy standards, I think they're called CAFE. Yeah, it stands for Corporate Average Fuel Economy. And that, according to the EPA, was the largest deregulation initiative of the Trump administration because it just really set us back in terms of car exhaust. Well, you know, they announced this sweeping rollback of pollution regulations, and it was in response to the coronavirus, but really it's what they wanted to do anyway. And it was supposed to last through the coronavirus and then it would return to what it was normally, but Uh we don't know that yet because the virus is still with us. So my guess is it probably won't return unless someone forces them to do that. Yeah, and of course, this is the week everybody finishes voting. (laughs) So we're going to know very soon who is going to be the next administration. And it may very well be that there's a big sea change in some of these rollbacks that we're seeing from the Trump administration. It just all depends. Ruth, one of the things that my committee did during this pandemic time, we couldn't do a lot of things, but what we could do Uh is to make sure that we watched what was being done and we wrote hard letters, which they seem to listen to a little more than just doing an email or just doing a call because sometimes you can call and you can't get through. I've done that. They say the box is filled up. Okay. Calling your representative? Like Mitch McConnell's office or Um, uh, John Yarmouth's office, or uh, you go on down the line, all of them. I've called the president's office, and so has my committee. What we usually do is write the letter, the hard letter, send it in the mail, and then we do an email, the same things, and then we call. Well, they didn't answer, but we do those things, and we watched what was being done during this time, one of the thing was not issuing notices to these people. They dumped their waste in the Ohio River for one thing, and they were not given citations. So we we did this sort of thing. But we need to let these people know that we're watching them. If nobody contacts them, then they're going to think they can continue to do it, no matter who's in charge. We need to let them know that we're watching and and keep letting them know that we're watching them. Very good. That is so, so true. So did you find one method was more effective than another method, that the writing was more effective than the calling? Heretofore, 
I have written letters and gotten answers, written hard letters. I have never gotten anything from an email, not much from calling. But yes, I've gotten things from a hard letter, I call it. It's just that you sit down and you type a letter on the letterhead. However, during this time, I didn't receive any answers from any of our elected officials. Wow. And, and what about you, Nikki? Did you have to send reports in to different legislators or just to tell people the state of the water? Not essentially being a supervisor at the Moss Water Treatment Plant. We have a report that goes to the Division of Water through the state. Like our regulations have not been lessened on what we have to do for the drinking water side, but the Clean Water Act has some regulations that have been reduced, but it doesn't directly affect us on the drinking water side as it stands right now. So in other words, if I'm correct, and you correct me if I'm not, the pollution level that you're getting into the water treatment plant might be worse. But we, we don't have any way to know at this point whether, like for what we do on a standards basis, we won't see it on that side. I mean, they may have lessened the pollution standards where they can pollute the waterways, but we won't know it immediately. And do you think Hopkinsville is well prepared with its water treatment system? As much as we can be, we follow within the regulations. We try to go above and beyond to make sure the drinking water is safe. So I, I do feel like we're in a good position here in Hawkinsville. And we're a medium-sized system and one of the largest systems around this area. We have the financial background to be able to do what we need to do if something were to come down. Uh -huh. there, there's a lot of things coming down the pipeline that, that's on the radar, but we're not having to regulate as, as of right now. I'm not a professional in this, but I recall when we had our big meeting down there that uh, Chris Bay was there from Louisville Water Company and our uh -huh. water, as it comes in, our water in Louisville is very good and it meets all the standards, but the standards have been lowered and we fought that. You were probably involved in that too, Nikki, that we fought the standards being lowered all over the United States because it's wrong. We deserve good water. Another thing that Trump did is he, in practically all areas of government, he appointed foxes to guard the chicken house. Here we have Scott Pruitt originally, who was heading the EPA, as self-described as leading advocate against the EPA's activist agenda, who sued the EPA as Oklahoma's attorney general 14 different times. And then, of course, I think there was a scandal with him and he had to resign. Then we got Andrew Wheeler, current head of the EPA and former coal lobbyist. That doesn't bode well. And for Secretary of Interior, we have Ryan Zinke, former advocate for mining and logging on federal lands. If we're going to have a planet, if we're going to have any people on it, we have to get to net zero. And we, no matter what our leaders say, we have to do it and they have to do it if we're going to have yeah. the life here. Yeah, we could go into some of Biden's yeah. policies and positions, but in the long yeah. haul, I think what one of you said earlier is about keeping their feet to the fire. And we haven't been doing that, you know, so I don't know if we want to spend some time talking about why people haven't been keeping their representatives' feet to the fire, because I think that in the end, it's going to take a big 
consciousness shift. And that's why I'm so proud of <laughs> our radio station, because our radio station is all about the people, the grassroots, the locals, how they can be empowered and be networked in with each other. Like, for example, the Hopkinsville water treatment plant can be linked in to the consumers so that they know that they are being listened to and how all of these various government agencies can empower their constituents, their clients. We don't have that right now. We have a disconnect between, I think anyway, all of the different governmental systems, whether it's the justice system, the education system, the city council, we, we have a disconnect with local people who feel powerless and futile and cynical. I mean, we look at the political ads on TV and it just, I don't know about you, but I suspect it makes us all pretty sick and cynical and, and wanting to just throw up our hands. I don't know what the answer is, and I don't know if you guys would want to make some suggestions about how how we can stir up the grassroots. I'll just say something which might be an excuse and a reason, and this is the way people think. Trump rolled back limited carbon emissions and power plants and relaxed fuel economy standards because it was driving up energy prices through the sky. Now, people don't like their fuel and stuff to go up, do they? People don't like prices to go up, right? Right, right. Here we go. Unless we get it explained to us. If we have somebody up there that just says, look, folks, we have to do this. We just have to. Like World War II, Mm -hmm. Franklin Roosevelt would come on the radio and say, folks, You have to do this for your country. You have to do this for your soldiers that are fighting over there. I know my parents, they they collected rubber bands. I've never seen so many rubber bands. They collected iron. My parents were much older. Uh, My father had served in World War I. They collected some type of metals and stuff. Just anything they were asked to do, they Uh did. Because why? It was for their country. Well, right now, it's for their world. Right, which is even bigger, the whole planet. The world now, because we alone cannot do it by ourselves. America could do it. Everybody in America could do it, but it wouldn't make that difference. It has to be the world. And what do you think of the leadership in this country that we don't have a Franklin Roosevelt today in this country, do we? Do we have any leadership that people do you think would trust and would be inspired to work together for a common goal? I just believe there's distrust on all sides. I mean, no matter, even for the current candidates running for president, with the climate today, social media, just all the false information that goes out. I mean, people just generally do not trust politicians in general. I mean, no matter what side it's on. And it's going to be hard to get everybody on the same page and say, hey, your future is in jeopardy. If not just ours, generations to come, you have to care to step up and say, hey, we need to make a change right now to make sure that our children and their children and children after that have something to look forward to. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, And you brought up the issue of social media. 
which is like <laughs> the wild, wild west, you know, yes. and not only that, but it is being hacked yes. by robots and hackers and people that have ulterior motives, criminals, and there doesn't seem to be any kind of level playing field out there. They want to divide us. Yes. I'm doing a very good and job. So without leadership, because, you know, we have really good people out there, but I don't know that they get the attention. It's like all the bad boys get the attention. <laughs> That's why I'm glad I have Forward Radio, because we can put the spotlight on good things that are happening, good people that are committed to the public interest and, and to improving conditions. So I, I hope that more of these kinds of grassroots efforts will spring up all over. I mean, the thing about the internet and radio, especially community radio, is that we can network immediately, spontaneously, all over the world. So theoretically, we could amass a lot of power if somehow just like um what's his name during the american revolution the british are coming the british are coming what's his name paul revere paul revere <laughs> yes i don't know why i couldn't remember that yes he <laughs> rode from place to place <laughs> yeah and he inspired and fired up you know huh. the grassroots to get going and lo and behold we've got this grand country that came out of it. We need another Paul Revere. <laughs> My hope is that we come out of this with a united country. But I think a lot of this was COVID. I think that when you're in your home and you don't have anything else to do, you're going to sit around and think of some things and get on the computer and you're going to say some things maybe you don't want to say. And People do get on there and say things they wouldn't say if mm -hmm. they were talking to your face. You know, right. people do that. That does happen. I see mm -hmm. things that I know people wouldn't, if I knew them and they were talking to me, they wouldn't say that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But yeah. let's hope that we come out of this election time the way that we used to come out of it and say, whoever becomes our president, that we're going to stand behind them and trust them to lead us through this. Well, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> it depends on who gets so in. I hope, can, I hope I can, and I hope that we can yeah. as a nation, because we yeah. surely need to get together and solve this problem of COVID and also the uh, climate change, because they sort of go together. We have to do this. Mm -hmm. I was just shocked to find out, just to think about you know, the future diseases that we're going to have to deal with and then how sick we might be inside with our different lungs and so forth. And then how bad it might be, we get something else and how sick we might be then too. So yeah, uh, we just must do something here. I just wanted okay. to jump off your point that we're all sitting alone at home. I know I am. I've got my little doggie here and she's my constant companion. But there may be something good that could come out of this, too, because people have a lot of time now. They're not rushing around shopping, going out to restaurants, going to the movie. They're at home. And you brought up that they can get kind of nasty on social media. But maybe mm -hmm. this could be a, an opportunity also 
for people to start looking toward other modes of communication and and unity and helping each other because we're all suffering right now one way or the other whether from isolation or from being sick or losing our jobs and because we're all suffering this especially is a time for us to come together in one way or another very much very much uh, nikki are you working in the office do you go into the office and work I do, because where I work at, we're at a water treatment facility, and the drinking water actually comes from here. Um, in the beginning stages, when COVID first hit, we were doing like a hybrid schedule. There's always got to be an operator here. So we were rotating the operators, trying to keep them socially distanced away, making sure an operator stayed away from other people if we had to come in to work. But we're back mm -hmm. working pretty much full, everybody in, in-house. We just have to make sure we social distance, wear a mask if other people are around. In this kind of um, work environment, you don't have to work side by side with another person. That's good. And with the governor's new recommendations coming down, we're actually in one of the red zone counties um, in Christian County. So his new recommendations say if you're um, non-essential government employees, try to do virtual or work from home. But with us, I think we're all pretty much coming in. I've got yeah. one grandson that's working from home. And then, of course, my husband and I are both retired, but he goes in. He he likes to go in and work some. So, yeah, and and I I too the I'm retired as well, and so I'm pretty much a recluse these days. I have never stayed home as long as I have during this period of time, but I'm very cognizant of what I need to do because of age wise, I believe them. I yes. do believe what they tell yeah. me. Right. Thank God we do have professionals and <laughs> and experts. In all ways. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, is all about how we can problem solve is because we have experts. I sometimes wonder, Nikki, about not so much drinking water, but sewage treatment. You know, I don't know what those operators are going through because they're exposed constantly to aerosols that are coming through the sewage, I would think. And I would think that that's where a lot of the COVID is ending up, is in the sewage. Everything with COVID is so new and fluid right now. I mean, I'm sure they'll find stuff down the pipeline, like right with hepatitis and any other disease that you can catch through bodily fluid, or I mean, they have to go get shots and make sure that they don't contract hepatitis A or B or what have you. And I'm sure there's other things that come through in the sewage, so I don't know what that'll mean for COVID as it comes through. Will they have to take a vaccine for that? Or will that be a stipulation of working with you know, sewage treatment? And then of course, all that water is released back into our lakes, rivers, and streams. So what does that mean for right. the average? Right. Can any of your treatment get rid of viruses? No, and I don't want to speak without double checking and fact checking on that. Like here in Hawkinsville, we chlorinate which is for deactivation of bacteria, cryptosporidium, giardia, things such as that. There are some things that cannot be chlorinated out, basically just using bleach to disinfect. Yeah, and I'm not sure about the Louisville water system. I don't think that we have activated carbon, and you probably don't either in Hopkinsville. Just as pretreatment for uh, taste and odor and for removal of organics, and I want to say that Louisville may use carbon, but we don't use anything like a 
activated carbon system that's on the other end of it. I don't. It wouldn't remove that anyway. It wouldn't remove bacteria. And I'm not sure now whether ultraviolet, if the water is transparent enough without any particulates in it, whether the ultraviolet will kill viruses. And I know that also is a form of water treatment. And also on the sewage side of it, so they may have it over there on that side of it also. Uh-huh. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Election Connection with me, your host, Ruth Newman. And we have with us today Nikki Chambers, supervisor of the Hopkinsville Water Treatment Plant and environmental director for the Kentucky League of Women Voters. Also with us is Shirley Cantrell, Natural Resources Chair of the Louisville League of Women Voters. The three of us are engaged in a wide-ranging discussion loosely connected to the drastic changes occurring in our climate as juxtaposed with the current political climate also undergoing drastic upheavals. So let's continue with Nikki Chambers and Shirley Cantrell on WFMP 106.5 FM. Did either of you find out anything about the Green New Deal? It's just a four-part program. It was an approach based off of the New Deal that Franklin Delano Roosevelt had put in place back during the Great Depression. So the Green New Deal, of course, have modern ideas such as renewable energy and resource efficiency to go along with the economic approach, but not much more than that. Because during the election process and when people are trying to get you to get their vote, I don't know about holding somebody accountable and say, hey, we're going to put this Green New Deal in place. We're going to follow through with it if we were to get into this. So I'm not sure how far you can take that. I think Kamala Harris co-sponsored that. Right. You're right. Kamala Harris did co-sponsor it. He could be all bad if uh, Roosevelt co-sponsored something like that. I mean, if we had somebody like Roosevelt co-sponsoring it, it might have a better it shot. Might have some uh, merit there. Right but... now, it's it's just a resolution. It's it's not a bill. It's not any kind of uh, legislation at all. It's a non-binding resolution. Anything with climate change and any kind of say renewable energy, it's it's going to be a money thing. I mean, can you get industries to get behind it if it's going to cost them more funding or the deregulation side of it from the current administration helps them on that side. So are we going to push for this Green New Deal that's going to cost us more money? Yeah, but then again, we look at all all the costs from all of this destruction that's going on with the wildfires in California, the droughts, the heat waves, the hurricanes, billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. And somehow they just don't ever seem to put that in as part of the economic equation, all the hundreds of billions of dollars that we're losing from the destruction of uh, climate disruption. And that has to be worldwide to make a change. Worldwide effort to make that change. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we have to do. Biden said that that was not exactly his plan. He has a plan. I've got Mm -hmm. it here, but it's it's a very extensive plan, but it's not exactly that same plan. 1.7 trillion in spending over the next 10 years, and then 3.3 trillion in investments by the private sector and state and local governments. 
first thing he said he would do is to cut $20 billion from fossil fuel annual subsidy. I don't know why they haven't done that a long time right. ago. Why are taxpayers funding fossil fuels? That's just crazy. Because they do make a lot of money. They make a lot of money and, then, and they make a lot of destruction that well, takes they do. a lot of money. Yeah. And then there was a timeline for transitioning from oil and gas to clean energy was, I think it was 2050, which does give a reasonable time. And I think that would be, that's 30 years, but of course they have to start. But I think that's a reasonable time that if we did uh -huh. it uh -huh. and we got the world to do it. I know, and that's a big I, if. <laughs> I know it's a big if, but I'll just say that he, he wants to get back into the Paris Accord. Uh -huh. So that's one thing that may help do some things. Right. But if we got everybody involved, then it would work. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Roosevelt did it on a smaller scale in this country. Why mm -hmm. couldn't we have leaders from all over the world inspiring people all all over the world it could happen i can give you one better than that i told this the other night and this is a true story and i saw it with my own eyes moved down here in 1961 and i went to work for standard oil standard oil was still had a bulk plant here the building is still part of U of L now but it was still there on bloom street and so I would drive into town. Sometimes I took the bus. Sometimes I had a car to drive in. And Louisville had a black cloud over it. Now, it wasn't all fuel. It wasn't all from cars. It was from some of those the plants that burn coal for power, various. Power plants. Power yeah. plants. Power plants, yes. And so I'm going, oh, that's so ugly. And I guess people had seen it for so long that they just didn't pay attention to it. And I'm, I'm looking at this cloud and I'm thinking, that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. So uh, years went on. And so about 1971 or something along in there, we started talking a lot about the cars and putting that mechanism on the car that cleaned up the fuel. And, it's a catalytic and, converter. Is that what yes, it was? Everybody was fussing about it, but they did it. And mm -hmm. honest to God, it wasn't too long before you started to look up and the cloud was gone. I couldn't believe it. Just that one little thing. Of course, it got better. And along <laughs> with everybody else I knew, you didn't get as good a fuel mileage and your car didn't run as good. But as time went on, it did. Mm -hmm. You know, they improved all that. And so I understand they're allowed to take that off now. They don't have to put that on automobiles anymore. Um, it worked. Yeah. So it can work again. And we used to have a car emissions testing. And then that went away. I know in Delaware they did that. I remember they would not give you your license plate if your car wasn't up to date and if, if it wasn't running properly. Uh -huh. And you had to get your car inspected here, but they didn't stop you from using it. But they stopped you in Delaware from using your car altogether until you got it taken care of. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. those are differences in states. But that yeah. is a thing that I know happened. <laughs> I heard something funny from a friend of mine, and it has to do with COVID. And I, I don't mm -hmm. know if I can remember it, but she was saying letting the states have their own policies on COVID is the same as 
telling people in a swimming pool that there is a special pee section of the swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> or telling a child that, no, I don't think that works. Yeah, it has to be worldwide, not only national, it's going to eventually have to be worldwide. Yes, and there have been other times in our country, the river had caught on fire. That's when the uh, Clean Water Act came in. And we have done it at various times, but then other people come in and they say, well, we don't need this anymore. We'll, you know, right. we just don't need And we they can't forget. Well, we forget what we've done and how mm -hmm. good it's worked. Yeah. You have one person or one industry or business that it benefits. So they lobby and say, hey, get rid of this. And it, it affects everyone. It comes down to money. They don't care. It's short-term thinking. I mean, it's short-term it gain, long-term catastrophe for even that business. Yeah, even, I mean, like with the climate change issue, it goes back to money and they don't want to do the necessary changes to make sure that we provide for future generations. And it is, it's the short-term thing they have going on where they don't care what happens to the future generations. Yeah. I would say it's probably greed and greed it does a lot of things makes people act in ways they shouldn't yeah and that's something you know when you get right down to it it's a matter of changing our psychology changing our awareness our day-to-day -day behavior our priorities it's going to require a values shift yes it is that we're not all just going after the bottom line that should not be our priority in a time like this, the bottom line is going to get the planet destroyed. Yeah. We've got to convince because uh -huh. some people just don't, it's like COVID. They don't believe it. Yeah. You know what I keep thinking of, and this is something that happened to me. I, I was living in an apartment in Jeffersonville and there was a mouse in my apartment. So I went and got a mouse trap and I put the cheese on the mouse trap. And the next day, sure enough, the mouse was in the mouse trap. And I, I'm just disgusted, but I'm holding it up, walking down the hall to where the trash is. And I'm looking at the mouse. The mouse is still alive, which was really excruciating. But the mouse was still eating the cheese. You know, the mouse is thinking, got to eat this cheese, got to eat this like short-term thinking, you know? And that's, that's how I think about the way we are right now. It's like, oh, got to make more money, got to make more money. And in the meantime, everything around us is being destroyed <laughs> because that mouse had no future, no future, but no. it didn't care. It was just into the cheese. <laughs> yeah. That's true. You know, I read an article. It was by Michael Bloomberg. He used to be the mayor of New York and he's real, real, real wealthy. Many, many, many years ago, it was like 10, 12 years ago, I read this article by him. In the article, I was really, really excited. He was saying that the future, the way that the future is going to have to happen is that the cities, the cities, those are where humankind is gathered, really, all over the world. The cities are going to have to get together and network with each other, all the major cities, and that that's how we will form a kind of a world citizenship, you know? It's going to be through the cities. I don't know. What do you think of that idea? I mean, nation states is where we're at now. We have nation states. 
and they're all after their own interests, you know, their own military interests, their own economic interests. If the cities were to come together, it would be an entirely different vantage. It, it wouldn't be competition. It would be more collaboration, I would think, among all the cities rather than competition. It's just really way out there, I know. <laughs> it is. But like I said, who would ever think we'd be sitting in our homes and working? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, you don't know what's going to happen down the yeah. road. And we're discovering new things all the time. All the time. The media. I think the media is part of the problem as well. Yeah, Anybody media, have any comments? <laughs> definitely bias for one thing. It just depends on what media outlet you're watching at that time. And most people tend to gravitate toward the one that most like their views, you know, so that's uh -huh. the only thing that they know is say, hey, I'm going to look at Fox or I'm going to look at MSNBC. Of course, each one has a certain viewpoint and they're totally biased. I mean, I don't think I can name a network that is not biased toward one thing or another. Yeah. And they're all into making money. They okay. want the shock value, the shock value of reporting on murders and, and bad people and bad things. I mean, look at how the media is just totally entertained by all the things that Trump says that are ridiculous. I think that this is going to be a lesson that we're going to have to get the media to learn also. I mean, it needs to be reporting and report the facts and, and fair reporting, not just a political view or this standpoint or whatever. Mm -hmm. But until they start doing that, I think that's the age we're in now. It's going to be kind of hard to get what you really need to know out of watching the news or whatever media outlet it is. Uh huh. Well, I like ABC, but CBS or NBC. I don't go to MSNBC or I don't go to Fox or I don't go to any of those on a regular basis, but I might turn on MSNBC just to see some commentary later on. But for the real news, I go to ABC because I guess I trust them. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That uh, They're going to at least give me the truth. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Well, just in the way, though, the way that the news is presented, it's like they give you, and I like to call it a freeze frame. Mm -hmm. This is what's happening right now. It's really hard to get really good in-depth reporting from any any of the news media where they give you the background they give you the you know how this all developed how it's going to affect people it they just give you the here and now and they've got the reporter on the street who's uh you know somebody just got killed or a sewer line just broke but they don't help to get people to realize why they should pay more taxes for their sewage treatment. They don't make that connection. They just talk about this one incident totally disconnected from any other issues. And so all that people know is they want lower taxes. And I do fault the media for not showing why we're getting bridges falling apart, why you know, going into the history of it, why we have racism in this country. I mean, we don't get good in-depth reporting. We get, you know, breaking news. It's like, boy, oh boy, we're great because we're at the spot of the big incident. We want it fast, quick. I want to get by with it and I want to go on to something else. Exactly. So 
It's instant okay. gratification. And that's just, I mean, it's coming more prevalent now, especially with social media and the way everything's reported now. I mean, like here in, in this county, in this town, newspapers is the thing of the past. Everybody can get on Facebook or social media, or Twitter, and learn the information they want right then and there. With that type of news, you don't know if it's true or not. That's the thing. <laughs> that is true. Maybe we need a revolution in how we get the news. <laughs> My daughter reminded me tonight that Facebook wasn't designed or founded for us to have all of these stories about Biden and about Trump and about all of this. It was designed for you to find out if your cousin was doing okay and if your friend had her baby and and how yeah. was grandma doing and all of that kind of stuff. It wasn't designed for, for all of this, I'll it's say, crap. It was a social network and just exploded into this. And it started when Trump came in office. I'll yeah. just say that. And it hasn't stopped since, on and on. Yeah, I have yeah. friends that won't get on there now. They will not get on there. Let me get back to something yes. on fracking, because this is really something that came out the other night in the debate. Remember the debate between Biden and Trump? Yeah. Uh, and then it came out in a couple of other things that Biden really was going to allow fracking. Well, several things. He said, no, he was not going to allow fracking past the time it was going to be used as a bridge to uh -huh. the time that we don't have to have oil anymore. But you have to have something. You have to have some type of gasoline oil to the time that we don't have to have it anymore. Do we have another type of, say, transportation for cars? We have electric cars. We get to ride our bicycles or we do something. We don't know what's in the future forest, mm -hmm. but we have to have some kind of other transportation than we do the gasoline car or heating. You know, we don't mm -hmm. use oil in our heating anymore, but a lot of people do. So you've got to have something to bridge that. So that's what that was all about. So is fracking, this is how they produce natural gas is through fracking yeah. or do they produce oil through fracking? Okay. I, I might have to look that one up. So according to the internet, hydraulic fracturing, or as it's commonly called fracking, is a technique used for accessing natural gas and oil in tight geologic formations. The process involves horizontal drilling of wells in addition to the use of water, sand, and chemicals at high pressures to fracture rock and release hydrocarbons. Some of the problems with fracking are its use of huge amounts of water, which must be transported to the site at significant environmental cost, and as well as earth tremor concerns, which we've heard about happening primarily in Oklahoma. Environmentalists say that potentially carcinogenic chemicals may escape during drilling and contaminate groundwater around the fracking site not to mention the final product of being either natural gas or oil, which is another fossil fuel that causes greenhouse gas emissions and warming of the planet. Yeah, because I know that the, the statement that I copied was natural gas fracking that was opened up during the Obama administration and put the U.S. on track 
to become the world's leading oil producer. Obviously, none of these things Biden is going to allow on public lands, and that's the big difference. I saw a really good show last night on Nova. Did anybody see this one? No. It was, and it's being done. They have plants now that can take CO2, carbon dioxide out of the air and put it back into the earth. But it's so slow and so costly that when they do do it, all they're doing is replacing what we're putting in right now. So they're not making any headway on it. They could not possibly do enough to reverse uh -huh. everything that we had yeah. put in there. Yeah, and that's so, the problem. Plants, that's what plants do, is they take carbon dioxide out of the air. And that's why we need the Amazon rainforest, is because yeah. that's our biggest source of plants taking carbon dioxide. I went to school in Delaware, and every year we would go take these trips, and we were learning about, well, how to plow. What's the best way to keep the topsoil where it was supposed to be? How to plow to do that? Where to plant trees in low-lying places? Why should we plant trees? We learned that as a child. What are some things we should do to feed the soil? My mother never threw anything away. When she peeled a potato, it always went into a bin. She always just put it out there. And then when we planted our garden in the spring, she put it on the garden. And we uh -huh. had great success there. My husband usually plants trees around here all the time. They serve another purpose. Instead of just holding on to your topsoil, they take in carbon dioxide and give off oxygen. And they also provide a cover that keeps things cool. So we can't burn down our rainforest, can we? And we need to plant, continually plant more trees. So I agree with you there wholeheartedly. What about you, Nikki? On a bigger scale, I mean, we know you have to limit your fossil fuels such as oil, carbon, and natural gas and replace them with renewable and cleaner sources of energy and mm -hmm. then change how industries are run and how they're subsidized. I mean, if you put restrictions on what they're doing, you can't take away and say, hey, we're going to repeal some of these regulations that they have. You have to actually say, hey, we'll let you run your industry if you do this, this, and this. And I, I think that's where it starts. That's where most of the carbon emission issues are coming from anyway. So you'll have to change how they're run. Well, you know, I used to live in Duluth, Minnesota. Then I used to work for the Natural Resources Research Institute. I was the program coordinator for the water division. And in that role, I met somebody, I can't remember his name, but the name of his company was Van Technologies. But his whole company, they were all PhD chemists was formed on the basis of finding alternative chemicals that were not toxic, that did not pollute, but the only way that they could be successful would be if other industries, you know, like DuPont and Raytheon, if those other chemical industries were told by the government that they can no longer use this chemical or told that they must install technologies to mitigate the effects of those chemicals, which of course would raise the cost, potentially making Van Technologies more competitive. So Van Technologies would move in and would come up with 
benign chemicals and they would have the same function. But the trouble is, I, I wonder if they're still in business because the, uh, the regulations all went away. So there was no incentive for companies to go to other kinds of chemicals. So it's all related. Our committee is showing that Forever Chemicals film. What is that? Uh, well, that is a film about the C8s that DuPont Chemical produced over the years, and it's in Teflon and fire retardant and clothing and carpeting and just about everything you can name. I mean, it's a cancer causer and they hardly ever go away. When they're here, they're here. It really is good. I saw it this summer. You can't believe that that happened. And I was raised in Delaware and, and DuPont was one of our heroes because they built schools and they provided books and my cousin worked there all of his life, and my father worked there. I mean, if you worked at DuPont, you were safe. You know what I mean. But this uh-huh. is something different, and they knew about this. They so. did. That's interesting that you should mention that, Shirley. Mm-hmm. I lived in Wilmington, Delaware, with my Thank husband. You. Yes, he was an employee of DuPont. Wow. Yes, okay. not while I was married to him, but he worked with the people who invented Teflon. And it turns out that it's horribly, horribly toxic. And that's the trouble with the chemical industry is they're only looking for one function and they're not looking for all the ramifications, you know, Mm -hmm. how it can affect the environment, how it can affect our health. And then Mm -hmm. we get into trouble. You know, one thing, now this is way off topic, but I might as well just throw it in We've here. We've been everywhere, haven't we? (laughs) This comes from my husband. He was an inventor. His philosophy, his idea is we have everything we need in the form of all of the materials that we have already extracted out of the earth. We have all the metals we need. We have all the everything, rubber, whatever it is, we have it all. What we need to do is figure out how to separate it from the sewage, separate it from the garbage. And he says we will never, ever ever need to go back in and extract from our natural resources if we could only develop the technology to separate out everything we already have and just recycle it and recombine it, you know? Look at all the cars that are sitting in the impoundment lot, you know? On those cars. Yeah, but our companies are back in the 20th century they're not in the 21st century and they're still extracting things out of the soil and causing big pollution and blowing the tops off of mountains. In fact, we don't need to do that. We've got everything we need that's already in the garbage, in the sludge, in people's basements. (laughs) That's one of the things I have a list of things we have to do in recycling, not what we're doing. We're just playing at recycling. That's right. We have to do it on a massive massive. Just think of how that could take down our pollution, water and air and soil, all the plastics that are all all over the place. And it has to be done. It has to. Well, this is inspiring to me because that's where the grassroots, that's where we can create jobs and we can have some innovation and creativity. And here I'm, I'm sending out a call to everybody that's listening to this program. Come up with some ideas for how to separate out and how to reconfigure our garbage so that we don't need to keep buying new stuff and keep 
exhausting our resources. I try to bring a new idea that somebody hasn't thought of about recycling to my committee meeting every month. First one I brought was the little curd cup, you know, that we everybody uses. All you have to do is cut that little top off and you take that little bag out. And even my mother would have used that bag because you put that around roses and stuff and it's full of grounds and everything. You put the plastic in to uh, recycle and then you use the grounds to put around different uh, types of tomatoes and stuff. What was that? The curry cup. Curry. K-U-R-I-C, I think is how you spell it. But they can be recycled. You have to cut the top off uh-huh. and then take it apart uh-huh. and throw them in there. I try to do something practical that everybody can do. I know there's a lot of good stuff happening here in Louisville with things like growing trees. There's Louisville Grows. I think they're one of our partners here at Forward Radio. They try to get people in Louisville to grow their own food to compost. And maybe I'm wondering if this is what Trump meant when he said the air and water were cleaner. We're not traveling as much in our cars anymore. We're, you know, we're doing work from home and maybe that's Mm -hmm. a good thing. I used to go to the gym three or four times a week. Now all of a sudden my gas tank is full because I'm not going to the gym. I'm finding all my exercises on YouTube. I don't know. Some of these we could be thinking about, especially while we're isolated, thinking about ways to change our lifestyles so that it's not mm-hmm. as destructive of the environment. Because I think people are moving closer to work, too. Younger very, people than me moving closer to town. And I wish they'd put in more bicycle paths so yes. more people could commute on bicycle. That would be wonderful. But it has to start with just us little people doing it does. that. I totally, totally agree. Well, any last words? Very interesting. I mean, I appreciate you um, having us on today. I really appreciate you being on and maybe this will be the start. Who knows? I encourage anyone listening to just send in your ideas. Go to forwardradio.org, click on participate or contact and just send me your ideas of what you think we could be doing as a community, as neighbors, to get this thing going. Well, thank you, Nikki Chambers and Shirley Cantrell for being on my show. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate all your ideas. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. That was Nikki Chambers, supervisor of the Hopkinsville Water Treatment Plant, and Shirley Cantrell, Natural Resources Chair of the Louisville League of Women Voters, giving us their take on the degradation of our planet and our health, but also on ways forward during these highly volatile times. And thank you for listening to Election Good Day.